This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. It is great to hear you guys singing. So we have been in a series this summer on some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. We're looking through the letters of Paul, and we're looking at places in his letters where he just kind of stops and prays for us. And our own prayer lives can be so enriched as we do that. So we're talking about communion with the living God. So this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 3, we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. A lot of times when people think about the prayers of Paul, this is one of the first ones that comes to, to mind. And wow, the music this morning, the love of Christ that we just sung about, uh, just goes so incredibly well with this text. And so Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 through 21, we're talking about the riches of his, his glory. And um, you guys, if you come here a lot, you, you know this, but the, the outline of the message is always kind of on the back of your, of your bulletin, and that outline is projected on screen so you can follow along. One of the really cool things is um, sometimes parents actually give me, give me these that, that their kids have been taking notes on the message, which is like really cool. But you know, sometimes following along and kind of actively engaging and taking notes can be a helpful thing um, in the course of the message. So that's why we, we provide that for you. So let's look this morning at Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 through 21, talk about the riches of his glory. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, as we dig into this prayer this morning. Lord, how we pray that you would, you would use this prayer prayed by your servant Paul to bear fruit in our lives this morning. And Lord, may we use this prayer and the 
prayers of scripture and, and make them our own. Lord, teach us to, to pray the scripture, to pray over it and to pray it as we think about it, as we meditate on it, as we turn it into prayer. And Lord, may we better comprehend your love through this message and, and through the Lord's Supper that will follow. And we pray it in Christ's matchless name, amen. So John McKay was a, a missionary uh, to Latin America, but growing up in the Scottish Highlands in the late 1800s, a lot of times in the Scottish Highlands in those days, in the summer, you know, the weather's glorious there, and they, they, they have these kind of open air worship services. And so one day as a 15-year-old boy, John McKay was, was at one of these open air services, and as this guy preached, the Holy Spirit just gripped his heart, and he was called to ministry that day. And that summer, as a 15-year-old boy, he just lived in the pages of the New Testament. He had like this tiny little New Testament that he had purchased for almost nothing. And that was his Bible. And he lived in the pages of the scriptures that summer. And his favorite book became Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And John McKay, kind of reflecting on this years later, said this about Ephesians. From the first, my imagination began to glow with the cosmic significance of Jesus Christ. The living Lord Jesus Christ, who was the center of a great drama of unity in which everything in heaven and on earth was to become one in him. It became natural then, as, and it has remained natural since, to say, Lord Jesus. And what a picture of the Lord Jesus we see in this prayer that we're going to explore today. And before we dig into the, the contents of the prayer, I want us to look at the context from which it emerges. And so let's look first of all here at verse 14. What does Paul say here? He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So what reason? Well, let's look at what he's just said. So he's just said in verse 12, in him, that is in Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. You know, there are some things that I deplore about cell phones, but one thing that I really like about them is that my kids have access to me 24 seven. And when I look at my, the screen of my phone and I see one of my, my, one of my kids' names pop up on that screen, it is never a bother to me. It is a blessing because I enjoy hearing from them. I love talking to them. I, I love being there for them to, to meet any need that I possibly can. And my kids know that they have access to me all the time. And they know that I'm for them and not against them. And so they can come before me boldly and freely. How much more can we come before a father whose love is perfect? 
for us. Now the Bible says that we can come before our Father. If we're in Christ, we can come before him boldly. Hebrews chapter four and verse 16 says, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And listen, we have access to our heavenly Father because of the work of Christ. Romans chapter five and verse two says, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So listen, when you are united to the Son by faith, then you have access to the Father. And he loves it when you come before him. You know, he, he loves you with a perfect love and he possesses unlimited power. What an incentive to pray, right? And so Paul comes before the Father on our behalf in this prayer, right? He's praying for the church of Ephesus. He's praying for you and me. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So let's talk about what he prays for, for us. Four things, okay, first of all, he's praying that we will be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we see that in verse 16, let's look at verse 16. He says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power and in your inner being through his spirit. Now, the implication here is that we need to be strengthened with this power. The clear implication is that our own power will not cut it. That we need the power of God. That we need the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember in our recent series in Luke, we looked at Luke 24. And we saw there in verse 49 that Jesus says this before his ascension he says and behold I am sending the promise of my father upon you he's talking about the Holy Spirit that was to come he says but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high that's the power of the Spirit clothed with his power when you when you get up in the in the morning you put on clothes but when you walk out, are you walking out into life clothed in the power of God's spirit? You know, later in this letter, in chapter five and verse 18, Paul is gonna say, be filled with the spirit. And the tense there means it's, a, it's continuous, that we are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, that we're to con continually have new, new fillings, re refreshing fillings of the Spirit of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones is maybe the greatest preacher of the 20th century. And one Sunday when he got up to preach at his church, Westminster Chapel in London, Lloyd-Jones challenged his, con his, his congregation in this way. Lloyd-Jones said, you may call it what you want, 
But I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit? I know that all of you would want to say to my question, well, we got it all at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, I have one question to ask you. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? Now, I know enough about Martin Lloyd-Jones to know that theologically, he absolutely believed that Christians get the Holy Spirit at conversion. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So every believer has the Holy Spirit, but his challenge here is a different question. You know, are you walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Are you clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you? Are you? So that's the first petition here, right? That we would be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, that Christ will be at home in our hearts. And we see that at the beginning of verse 17. So what does he, what does he say at the beginning of verse 17? He says, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, at first, that seems like a weird thing to ask God, because he's writing to Christians. Doesn't Christ dwell within the heart of every Christian? Well, yes. But the, the Greek word here that is translated as dwell is a particularly strong word. And we need to look at it right? We need, to, we need to dwell on dwell. <laughs> What's he talking about here? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. John MacArthur uh, speaks of that, this particular word for dwell as meaning, you know, not simply being inside the house of our hearts, but being at home there. Maybe you've had the experience of buying a house that needed a lot of work, you know, and you you got into the house, <laughs> but it really didn't feel like home yet because all kinds of stuff had to be done. You know, that old smelly carpet had to go and the walls had to be painted and that wallpaper had to go and, you know, the tile work and the kitchen were perfectly up to date for 1965, you know. And that's to say nothing of all the infrastructure that had to be done. You know, it was gonna need a new roof and new appliances and new AC and all that. So like you're in the, you're in a house, but like there's a lot of stuff that's gotta be done. But you know what, a decade down the road, you know, little by little, you've been chipping away at it and you look at one another and you're like, wow, this, this feels like us now. This place feels like home. That's the, that's the meaning of this word. It's, it's saying that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, as we learn to trust the Lord more and more, he is more and more at home in our hearts. Let's look at the third thing that he's praying for here. And that is that we will comprehend God's love. That we will comprehend God's love. So let's begin here at the, 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 the latter half of verse 17. He says, I pray that you being rooted 
and firmly established in love or rooted and grounded in love. The images here are ones of depth, right? Rooted, like roots going down. Established, right? Depth. And so he's praying that we would love one another deeply. First Peter 1.22 says that. Peter says, now that, you, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. But listen, if we're to love one another deeply, then we need to go deeper and deeper into how much God loves us. Because 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And so in order to love one another deeper and deeper, it means that we need to go deeper and deeper into the gospel. Deeper and deeper into the, the love that he has for us and that he has shown us in Christ. And that's what he's gonna pray for next in verses 18 and 19. He, he prays here that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's a story about the great Bible teacher R.A. Torrey that one day Torrey said that I was just I was just reading my Bible and praying when I was just overcome by the love of God, so overcome that I began to weep and weep and weep to the point that I had to, to ask God to stop, to stay his hand, I couldn't take any more. There's a story about Edmund Clowney who eventually became the, the president of Westminster Seminary, but you know, when he was just a, a seminary student himself, he was dealing with some struggles in his life and he went into the office of one of his professors, John Murray, and he kind of opened up and shared his struggles with Dr. Murray, and Dr. Murray offered to, he said, let's pray together. And when, he said, when John Murray prayed, it was like the heavens just opened up and that room was filled with just a palpable sense of the love of God. Jack Graham, um, pastor in Texas, tells, tells about um, something that happened to him as a 20-year-old. His father, who ran a hardware store, was, was brutally attacked, and he lasted for 10 days in the hospital, but eventually succumbed to his wounds. And Jack Graham said, when my, the day that my dad died, I went into this little chapel at the hospital and I was so overcome, I just fell down and I fell down flat on my face, just prostrate, crying out to God. And he said, I walked out of that hospital chapel a different man because it was like your earthly father has been taken away and now I'm coming to you as your heavenly father. And he said that the sense of his heavenly father's love for him was so overwhelming that his whole life was changed. 
You know, God can come to us in different ways. I mean, whether, it's, whether we're alone reading our Bible and, and, and praying like R.A. Torrey, or whether we're praying with a friend like Edmund Clowney, or whether we're walking through a time of tragedy and trauma and trial in our lives like Jack Graham. God has all kinds of ways of revealing himself to us. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. But the prayer is that however he does it, that we would comprehend his love and that we would comprehend it in its length and width and height and depth. The full dimensions of his love. The final thing here in verses 20 and 21 is a final word of praise. Oh, and what a word of praise this is in verses 20 and 21. Verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that works in us. Wow, it's like Paul here in verse 20 is groping for language you know, groping for adequate words to express what God is able to do. It's like the words just kind of like build on one another. You know, God, God can do whatever we ask. He's like, uh, he can do whatever we ask or think, whatever we ask or imagine. It's like, no, God can do more (laughs) than all we ask or imagine. No, God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this about that. He says, we simply cannot ask for good things beyond God's power to give them. We cannot even imagine good things beyond God's power to give them. And not only does he have the power to give them, but listen, he is an outrageously generous father who delights in giving. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, in the hands of the twisted and self centered, you know, this verse can be abused. We see that happening with, you know, uh, the health and wealth, prosperity, gospel uh, teachers that too often crop up in our culture these days. And what they don't do is put verse 20 in context with verse 21. (laughs) What's verse 21 say? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So listen, the Christian's prayer is going to ultimately be God-centered. Even when we are asking for things that concern us in our own lives, the deepest yearning of our hearts is for the glory of God that God be glorified. Uh, That that is the bottom line of every prayer, of all of our prayers, the bottom line that undergirds them 
you know, is sola deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. The honor. Now listen, we, we, honor, we honor God when we honor the work of his son. God is honored when we lift up the work of Christ. His death for sinners, his resurrection from the dead, the finished work of his cross and resurrection. You know, when we lift up the gospel, God is is glorified in that. God is honored as we honor the work of his son. I mean, we're we're talking here about comprehending his love. The Lord's Supper is one of the things that he's given us that helps us to comprehend his love. Yeah, it's more than it's more than words. John Murray, in his great book Redemption Accomplished and Applied, once said this thought and expression stagger in the presence of the vicarious sin bearing of the Lord of glory. Eternity will not reach the bottom of it nor exhaust its praise. Sometimes we're like Paul here, you know, and and groping for language to properly express or comprehend Christ's love for us, which is why he gives us more than words. It's why he gives us bread, broken bread. It's why he gives us a cup poured out. Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts to for his table. The scripture tells us that before we take part in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that this is a time really to examine our hearts. The most important question is, do you know Christ? Do you understand the the beauty and love of God that has been shown in the gospel? Have you turned to Jesus and trusted in him as your savior, your Lord, your king? If so, then this is for you. Celebration is for you. Apart from that, it has no meaning. If you've never turned to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, turn to him now. Receive him into your life as your Savior and Lord. Receiving these elements into your body has no meaning if you haven't received Christ. Receive him now. How's your walk with the Lord? Is anything hindering your fellowship with God? You know, nothing can ever break that relationship, but we can do things in any relationship that could hinder the intimacy and the fellowship within it. Is there anything like that in your life that you need to deal with?
You know, taking the Lord's Supper is not a matter of being worthy. The whole message of the gospel is that we're unworthy, <laughs> that we need a savior. And what we're about to do just really lifts up his work, right? It gets right to the heart of what this is all about. And may the Holy Spirit nourish our hearts as we take these elements as believers. So Lord, we, we lift up this time to you. Lord, how we pray that your spirit would work. Lord, that you would help us to better comprehend the love of Jesus for us as we take the bread. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.